are listening to Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter. I'm Jeremy Schmerer, and with me is Dr. Ryan LaRanger. During our past episodes, we've discussed a broad spectrum of innovations like stem cell therapy, 3D printing, CRISPR, and others which have implications for the idea of regenerative medicine, which will be our topic today. Ryan, obviously, when we're talking about regenerative medicine, there are a lot of directions we can go in terms of anti-aging, uh, tissue engineering, aesthetics, immunity. What comes to mind first in this space for you? Oh, gosh. So I would actually describe it less by application and more by uh, basically how realistic or how near to the present some of these regenerative medicine options are. Some of them are things that are being done right now or things that can be done in sort of the near term. Some of them are really complex and interesting and they look like they might happen soon. Um, and then there are some which are a bit more far future or that potentially have some problems. Uh, now, when we're thinking about regenerative medicine, uh, we can often think about it in terms of stem cells. We're using stem cells to replace either damaged tissue or to make up for a lack of something. There are a couple of other examples which are a little bit trickier, but that's the basic. Um, for example, a great, a great example of regenerative medicine is a skin graft, right? That's it. You have a hole in your skin. You have a very, very nasty burn. Uh, you can apply a skin graft, and that is a form of regenerative medicine. Or bone marrow transplants are another version, which is, you know, it, it's a form of regenerative medicine. It's a stem cell transplant. Um, not pleasant, but absolutely life-saving, right? Uh, some of the things that we'll get into next are uh, things that are similar to that, but a little bit more complicated, a little bit more far future. Uh, just in terms of definition of terms, does that make sense? I'm with you so far. I hear about a lot of folks doing the bone marrow thing when it comes to, to cancers and other things. So please expand. Great. So um, one of the challenges in regenerative medicine in general, uh, from sort of a business commercialization perspective, and that is uh, one of the barriers to implementation of some of the technologies that are coming out right now that are very exciting, is scalability and cost. So one of the really exciting things that's been going on in the regenerative medicine space has been CAR T therapy, basically engineering immune cells to attack your specific cancer. And uh, often this involves taking the cells from a patient's body, making changes to those cells, um, genetic engineering and so on, and then sticking them back in. And the results people have been getting have been dramatic. Uh, with especially blood cancers, your uh, lymphomas, and so on. One of the things that's stopping this from being a more general application, though, is cost. Uh, all of these steps, removing cells from the body, genetic engineering, sticking them back in, these require very specialized facilities, and it requires, you can't sort of take a bunch of these cells out, uh, put them in bottles, and then give them to patients as you need. It's you need to do the extraction and the whole thing for each person, because if you give someone someone else's cells, they might reject them. And this is going to be a common theme. Because we need to do the same extraction processing and uh, re-engagement of regenerative medicine in any context, for any given patient, the resulting procedure is ruinously expensive. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that, that does make sense. It sounds like places with lower levels of sophistication or infrastructure in terms of healthcare may not have access to a lot of the things that, that you're mentioning. I mean, how does this become cheaper? How does it scale to a point where the average person can, can get a regener regenerative medicine treatment? Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, so first of all, I would say it's not like it's we're talking about infrastructure that even like advanced economies don't really have enough of. Right. It's a challenge for everybody. Um, there are, though, and that's a really insightful question. There are a few points that or methods that are being investigated to get around the scalability problem. Let's start with what already exists and sort of work our way to where people are trying to go. In terms of what already exists, some people are using um, what I would call the protein scaffolds. So the framework of tissue, but things that don't actually have cells in them or material that would trigger the immune system, right? So examples of this include uh, blood vessel or blood vessel structures that are made that sort of your blood then goes through and provides the cells and your cells remake that blood vessel. Uh, these are actually commercialized now. So, and they're very, very useful. They work quite well uh, in part uh, the blood uh, the art, let's say the arterial structure is relatively straightforward. So it's easier for it to do. Um, you see similar things where you're just applying the framework for uh, other kinds of things like skin grafts, some other tissue grafts, where what you're doing is basically just making it easier for a body's own cells to migrate in and uh, reconstruct the tissue. Uh, you see this like with bone. Does that make sense? That, that does make sense. And it actually brings me to a question I wanted to make sure I got in today. So you talk about, you know, aligning with one's own cells, but what about someone who has a failing organ, a lung, a kidney, and they can't find a compatible donor? Is there any work being done to change the need for a transplant? Or a better question is how does what you're discussing apply to transplants? Oh boy. Um, well, it, it's to complex transplants, right? It's, there are simple transplants, some of which are already being engineered, right? Uh, some people have been doing really interesting work with bladder. Uh, some people have been doing skin, uh, just sort of what we were talking about before. Uh, blood vessels, for instance, are another one. Uh, these are kinds of uh, structural organs where the manufacturer is pretty straightforward. Once you start getting to more complex organs, lungs, hearts, kidneys, the ones that like, it, people really need, especially as they get older, these are extremely complicated to make, but I will say there are a number of labs and companies that are working very hard to try and create these kinds of tissue. Now, uh, the structural engineering elements of it are fascinating, and we can get into that. That's almost like a whole other podcast. Um, but in terms of how do you make it practical? Um, there is a paradigm called um, induced pluripotent stem cells. There are embryonic stem cells. All of these are terms to describe uh, cells which can differentiate into many other kinds of sub subcells, basically. So the hypothesis is if you can make a scaffold which fits the mechanical and the architectural shape, basically, of that organ. If you stick the stem cells in there, these stem cells in there in the right environment, they will grow a new version, a fresh version, if you like, of that tissue. 
Now, there are a couple of practical challenges there, which you may want to ask me about. How, what I'm wondering is how long does something like that take? Like, what is the length for the regeneration process? I'm sure it depends on a number of factors, but oh, if, I'm, if I'm in need of a new organ and I have these stem cells injected or implanted, what, how long does that take to actually regenerate? No one knows. Short version, nobody knows. I, <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. It's, there are so many practical challenges associated with the creation of one of these complex organs for transplantation. The only reasonable answer I can give you is a very hearty shrug. Um, weeks, maybe. Uh, it, it's the, From the engineering side, I just want to make sure to highlight a couple of challenges. One of them being for induced, so getting back to the idea of pluripotency, right? Using your own cells. Induced pluripotent stem cells are an amazing innovation. Let, let me start by saying that. Uh, but one of the challenges is uh, they are normal adult human cells, so like skin cells, for instance, which have been uh, engineered to become stem cells through expression of the Yamanaka factors. It, one of my favorite, most elegant experiments was uh, them find, when sort of narrowing down the factors you need to get a normal cell to become a pluripotent cell. One of the challenges is off-target differentiation. So some fraction of these induced stem cells can become uh, cells that are not exactly what you're looking for. Um, you know, there are ter potential teratoma problems. There, there are other potential issues, which people are working on. They're making them better, but it's hard to see them being in the near term, something that's clinically approved. Uh, embryonic stem cells are great. Often uh, as adults need these surgeries, we often don't have embryonic stem cells. And if we do, we don't necessarily have them enough quantity. That's point one. Point two, an alternative strategy is to create sort of a universal donor cell by making cells which can uh, tell the immune system, hello, I'm okay. Uh, this is something which is still very much in development and is not yet at the stage where that would be, um, uh, I will say practical, <laughs> but we're getting closer, right? There's a very good understanding of kind of the pathways involved. Uh, and then there are, of course, immunosuppressive drugs, which one can take. Um, they're tricky, but you could also use those. Does that sort of highlight some of the challenge there? Yeah, that, that does. I think what we're going to need to do is take a few of the things that you mentioned and take this topic and sort of break it apart into bite-sized podcasts because we are, after all, called truncated <laughs> thoughts. So we're going to leave it here for now. And I think we'll take pluripotent stem cells or embryonic stem cells and perhaps create an entire episode around one of those. So we hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're not a subscriber already, you should be. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Our next episode, we'll dive into cardiac health. And until then, thanks for listening.